Again, welcome to all of you who are here this morning. It's uh, good to be standing here in this very familiar pulpit, uh, but a very unfamiliar building. Uh, it's kind of encouraging. Hopefully, you, those of you that are guests and visitors, welcome again to be with us. Uh, but uh, more, I'm more encouraged to especially see all of you regular attenders and members still here. Uh, <laughs> as, uh, last week, this man came up to me and kind of gave me this, uh, he was a, a pastor, sort of pastor, a pastor, he'd been a pastor, but he's not pastoring a church, but he came and kind of just told me, oh, you know, when, uh, when churches move to a new building, um, statistics show that 20% of your members will just stop going. You know, it's like, you know, basically 20%, there's always like 20% disgruntled people. They're basically just uh, looking for any reason to leave. And usually when a building comes, it's like, eh, it's a good time you know, move on, go find a new church, you know. So, uh, uh, but from the looks of it, you're still all here. So <laughs> praise God for that. Uh, and don't even think about leaving, okay. But we're glad to have all of you here with us. Anyways, it's been a joy just to, to open the word of God from this pulpit and uh, in this building. I uh, appreciate Pastor Alton last week who opened up the word for us uh, from the book of Acts. Really, this message is really a continuation, a segue from uh, what he shared uh, last week. But please open your Bibles with me and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. I'm going to read from verses 10 through 17. Over the next three weeks, I'm going to preach from 10 through 17, uh, but today focusing on 10 to 11. So let's just read the whole text. 1 Corinthians written by the Apostle Paul, written by... Uh, Paul to the church in Corinth, the church that he had established during his second missionary journey, uh, according to Acts 18. And uh, shortly after he left the church, after 18 months of ministry there, uh, he heard wind that there was division in the church. Division. And there was various reasons, but one of the particular reasons that he heard was because there was a uh, those, uh, a, a, a favoritism, a party spirit among different members, uh, really rooting for their favorite uh, preacher, their favorite teacher. And so Paul writes this letter to the church to correct them on this, their error of division. And particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here, he points out to them a, a very important reason, which we'll look at today, of why the church ought not to be divided. So we read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 17, these words. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can open up your word from this pulpit in this new building on our second week here. Father, we thank you for these truths that are timeless, 
that speak to your people throughout the ages. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit has been granted to us to enable us to understand your word. So we pray, Father, for your spirit to work in our hearts today. May you work in each and every one of us, causing us to understand your word, its meaning, but also causing us to understand its application to each of our lives and to our lives as a church as a whole. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified through your church, through your word that works in your church. We pray, Father, that your word would go forth even now in speaking to each one of us as we need, challenging us, convicting us, encouraging, comforting us, so that we might continue the work which you call us to do. Lord, we pray and ask that you would be glorified now. We entrust ourselves to you as you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you think of this church, and I'm sure if you've been attending this church, that you've thought of this church from time to time. When you think of this church, what do you think about that makes this church a great church? You know, it's amazing because each and every one of you, especially the regular tenders and members, you have made a commitment, whether you've done it formally through membership or not. You've made a commitment essentially every Sunday of your life. You're going to spend two, three hours, four, five, some of you, here in this building among this people. And that, to me, is an amazing thing. You know, how many things do you commit to on a weekly basis? And there's a few things you do on a daily basis. But a weekly basis is a huge commitment of time. And it tells me the fact that you come here every Sunday, it is encouraging to me. Because it tells me that there's something about this church that you find to be a blessing. Something that makes this church great. There are many churches that you could be a part of. What makes this church a church that you desire to be committed to? I wonder if I were to ask you, is it the programs of this church? The music? Is it the doctrine? Perhaps it's the, lo lo the location or the beautiful new building. Or is it the people? Most likely, it's a combination of these things. And whatever may be your blend of reasons for finding this church to be a great church, a church that you wish to be committed to, I, I hope and I pray that, and I think you, under, you would understand, that fundamentally, the reason you choose to be committed to this church, or any church for that matter, is because of Christ. Because you see that Christ is preeminent in this church. That Christ is made manifest in its programs, in the music, in the doctrine, in the people. Christ is even manifest somehow in the building. But when programs or music or doctrine or people become more preeminent than Christ himself, when people start to boast, when they boast about their church, they boast about their programs, they boast about their music, their doctrine, or their people, instead of Christ, such pride, and it is pride, often leads to division in the church. That's what happened in the Corinthian church. And there was a pride, a boasting in people, in Paul, in Apollos, in Peter. There was a boasting in, among their teachers. 
And these, their favorite, everyone had their favorite teachers. There was boasting in their spiritual gifts as well. And because they're boasting in, their, in, in what they thought was so great, they tend to think that those who didn't follow their favorite teacher or those who didn't have their particular gift were somehow less, somehow not as important. And so Paul writes this letter to correct this problem. Paul emphasizes that the church is not to be divided because the church, all her members, all the gifts that he gives her members belong to Christ. And if there's any boasting, Paul says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In effect, he writes to them to remember that the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ. That he is the foundation of everything that this church is about. He is the foundation of our programs. Of our, he's the foundation in our music, in our, in our, reflected in our people. And it should be reflected even in the building. A church that forgets her foundation is a church that will fall apart. And certainly while we are in a shiny new building, SPA reminded us last week in his message, there is a ongoing and ongoing building project that has been entrusted to us. It is God's building project, but it is God's building project which we are responsible to be a part of building. This church was begun by followers of Christ some 50 plus years ago. And others came after them and built upon their foundation, the foundation that was laid, and others built upon that, and today we are building upon it. And as we build, we cannot forget that what makes this church great, what makes this a church that you and I and others would desire to be committed to, is and must always be Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 17, remind us, of our responsibility to carefully build upon the foundation of Jesus. Now, what sets up this passage for us is uh, verse 9. There in verse 9, if you kind of just look uh, just right before verse 10 there, Paul writes, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The church at Corinth is figuratively pictured as a field, and it's also figuratively pictured as a building that belongs to God. And all the, the, teacher, the church's teachers that the Corinthians were boasting them in, he tells them, are fundamentally all servants and fellow workers that belong to God. And so carrying on the analogy of a building, here in verses 10 to 17, Paul's, Paul continues, and his words speak, are, are written to those who build upon the foundation of Christ. And Paul's words remind us of two necessary works for building the church of God. And as you and I are those who are here committed to this body, we're here about building upon the church, the, the foundation of Jesus Christ, building this church. There are two necessary works that we see in this passage that encourage us to be faithful. The first necessary work for building the church of God we find in verse 10, the first part of verse 10, and that is the work of foundation laying, the foundation laying. Verse 10 reads, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Now, when you build any building, the greater the building, the greater its foundation, right? You build a house, you need a stone slab. 
You build an office building like this one, you need something a bit stronger and a bit deeper. Build a church, you need Jesus Christ. That's what the apostle says he did. As a wise master builder, he laid a foundation for God's building for the church in Corinth. And he's, notice this Greek word, or the, this word master builder. The Greek word is the word from which we get our English word architect. And I know there's probably some architects out there. And whereas today we tend to think of architects as those who design buildings, they, they draw the sketch out the buildings. The Greek word for master builder refers to not only one who, who designs, but also one who builds. The master builder is both architect and a general contractor. And like architects and general contractors today, it's important that they be wise. The word wise actually means skilled. You know, if you're going to have someone who builds the, your house, builds your, and particularly lays the foundation of your house, you want them to be skilled about it. Because if they're not skilled, if they're not wise about it, your house is going to move and shift as your foundation crumbles. The church needs wise, skilled builders in the work of foundation laying. So what makes such builders wise or skilled? And there are two truths that we learn in this text about the work of foundation laying. They reveal to us what makes a master builder or builders of God's church wise or skilled. First of all, we learn about foundation laying. The foundation laying needs the grace of God. We desperately need the grace of God. <clears throat> that Paul identifies himself as a wise master builder is not arrogance. He's not just boasting and just saying, you know, I'm a wise master builder. He recognizes that he has a, what he has accomplished is all because of the grace of God in his life. He knows that it's God's at work. God has been at work in his life. God is behind everything that he's done. In fact, later on in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, 15 verse 9 to 10, Paul writes there that he's the, he's the least of the apostles. He's not even fit to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. He continues there in, uh, in 15, 9 and 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul realizes that everything that he is, everything that he's accomplished, his, his, from his salvation, his calling, his giftedness, and his successes were all because of God's grace. Paul had a humble recognition that God enabled him for the work of foundation building, or foundation laying. It wasn't because of Paul's own innate natural skill or his experience or his, even his knowledge though he was able to lay, that he was able to lay a foundation for the church. In fact, what he proclaimed to the people of Corinth was not something he had figured out himself. He just said, oh, I, I figured it out. I'm going to tell this to them. But it was divinely revealed to him on the road to Damascus. So when he came to Corinth, he wrote, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What's more, how they responded to his message was also because of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 1.30, by his doing, he writes, you are in Christ Jesus. Paul understands that for the church in Corinth, 
what he spoke to them and what, how, they, even what they, how they responded to what he spoke, that is, the gospel, were all according to the grace of God. All of us are here, all of us are saved, not because of any particular person. We are all saved and we are, have come to, to receive the knowledge of the truth because of the grace of God. It's not because any of us figured it out. Because if we figured it out, then it would be our works that result in our salvation. But it was God who revealed it to us. The foundation, foundation laying needs the grace of God. We need to acknowledge and be dependent upon the grace of God in, our, in, this, in this church. Foundation laying. We learn a second truth, though, about foundation laying that makes a skilled and wise builder not only does he need to depend upon the grace of God, but foundation laying needs the gospel of God. Paul says, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Now, he identifies this foundation in verse 11. He says, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The work of foundation laying is essentially the work of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what foundation laying is. It's those who go to areas where there is no gospel witness, where there is no church, and they proclaim the gospel, they preach about Jesus, and a group of believers are led to the Lord, and they gather together, and they form a church. That's what foundation laying is. And Paul has emphasized this, that the necessity of the preaching of the gospel for foundation laying. In chapter 1, verse 17, he wrote, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. In 123, he wrote, we preach Christ crucified. We already mentioned chapter 2, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In fact, later on in 2 Corinthians, the second letter he writes to them, in chapter 4, verse 5, Paul adds, for we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord. The foundation that Paul laid for the building of the church in Corinth was none other than the foundation of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church in Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth and the Corinthians who lived there, they were known for their rampant immorality and idolatry. When Paul arrived there, according to Acts 18, he began to reason with them in the synagogue every Sabbath. He tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, solemnly testifying them that Jesus was the Christ. He was preaching the gospel. And by the grace of God, both Jews and Gentiles believed, and the church was born. And no church, but no church would have been born if Paul did not preach the gospel of Christ and him crucified. He couldn't have started a church if he just came and said, hey, I want to start an organization that's all about love. I want to start an organization that's all about wrath. I want to start an organization that's all about how we feed the homeless. He said, I want to start something that's all about Jesus. It's about Christ and him crucified for our sins. We learn this very, very fundamental truth here in, the, in this first point. That no church can begin apart from someone preaching the gospel of God in dependence upon the grace of God. Without these two, there is no church. Without these two, there is no San Francisco Bible Church. Sadly, there are many churches in this country 
even in our city, that our church is in name only. For there, from their pulpits, there is no preaching of Christ crucified. There is no mention of Christ from the people. There's no visible manifestation of Christ, obedience to Christ in the people's lives. There's no Christ in the programs. There's no Christ even on their website. It's often said that any church is one generation from dying. And that's true of us as well. All it takes is for you and me to stop preaching the gospel. And the gospel will die with us. Moreover, though, the failure to depend upon the grace of God can be just as detrimental to the life of a church. When we don't depend upon the grace of God, we end up depending upon man. And this is pretty good. There's a, it's a common example or a common thing that happens in our churches today and across the country. We see many churches that are building off uh, the cult personality of their preacher or their leader. He's dynamic, charismatic, and, and uh, aromatic. He writes books. He's on TV. He rides a motorcycle. He roasts his own coffee beans. He, uh, he hacks his Android phone with the latest custom ROMs. He dresses hipply. He speaks so well. And the church, on their, all their websites, their marketing, their, their advertisement, they focus on the man. They say, come here and hear this man. See this man. Preach the word. Preach. You come and you'll be like him. You'll have money like him. You'll live in a house like his. You might drive a car like his. You'll have a family like his, success like his. You'll build a large megachurch like his. But in doing so, the church, in effect, depends upon man, you see, and not on God. Because what happens when God takes away that man? If you think that the growth of this church depends on me or depends on Pastor Alton or any one of our elders, uh, you are mistaken. The growth of this church has always and is and will always depend upon the grace of God. Let us continue to be a church that never forgets our need for the grace of God and the gospel of God. That God would, could remove all our pastors. God could remove all our elders. God could remove half this congregation. And if the grace of God is still in effect and the gospel of God is still being proclaimed, Christ will build this church. That's what he promises. If laying the foundation dependent upon the grace and gospel of God, then how much more for those of us who are building upon it, building upon the foundation that was already laid. And may we be faithful to build upon this same foundation which leads to our second necessary work for the building of the church of God. And the second necessary work is the work of foundation building. It's what you and I are particularly here at San Francisco Bible Church involved in. Paul writes in the latter half of verse 10 these words, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. See, Paul has already acknowledged that he laid a foundation. The building analogy is continuing here. But notice that a building, a building is not just a foundation, right? It's not just you, you laid a foundation and say, hey, we built a church. It's like 
when the Israelites laid the, the foundation of the temple and they stopped for 16 years as if the temple was built. But God was displeased because they didn't complete the temple until 16 years later. You can lay a foundation, but it is meant to be built upon. Once the foundation is built, is laid, the builders can then begin adding walls to it, floors to it, roofs to it, windows and everything else in between. But whatever is added must be built upon the foundation. It must be built on that foundation that has been laid. No one lays a foundation and then kind of builds something next to it. You put it on the foundation. You build on top of it so that what is built on top of it will, be, will remain. Here in the remainder of verse 10, we also learn two truths about the work of foundation building. And I would like to add that when I say foundation building, I do not mean that we're building another foundation, that we're laying another foundation, but I mean that we're building upon the foundation. We're building upon the foundation of Christ. That's what you and I are doing here at San Francisco Bible. We're building upon a foundation. We're foundation building. We're building upon it. And with these two truths that we learn here in this text is that, first of all, foundation building needs others. We need others. The Apostle Paul contrasts, contrasts himself with other servants in the church of Corinth. Whereas he was the one who had laid the foundation of the church, he acknowledges that another is building upon the foundation. In Paul's ministry at Corinth, others had come alongside him, such as Aquila and Priscilla, Silas and Timothy. And there were others who came after he left as well. One particular individual was a Jewish man named Apollos. He was a man that was mighty in the scriptures. He was discipled by Priscilla and Aquila. And when he arrived in Corinth, we read in Acts 18.27 that he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He helped the believers in that church of Corinth. Apollos built up the believers through teaching of the scriptures and refuting those who opposed. We learn then from this that in the church, while some lay the foundation, others build upon the foundation. Some today are going to be called to be missionaries, church planters. They're going to be called to to go into fields where there is no witness. And God's going to use them to proclaim the gospel, do a lot of foundation laying. They'll be preaching Christ constantly to lead people to salvation so that a church might be built. And may God raise up among some of us to be such foundation layers in areas where Christ's church does not exist today. But the majority of us are going to be foundation builders. We're going to be building upon a foundation that was laid by others in the past. Others and the foundation layers often are not the ones who continue on to build upon the foundation. Others are needed to continually build upon the foundation because the church is not yet finished. The same goes for us at Bible. There were those who laid the foundation for us. And there were others who built upon the foundation. And now it is our turn to build upon the foundation. It's our turn because Esa Bible is not finished. Just like when you became a Christian. Remember that time when you became a Christian? It did not mean, you probably, I hope you didn't realize or think that, oh, Christ is complete. I'm perfectly Christ-like at this point. I'm, I don't sin anymore. 
because you were quickly disappointed the, the next day or the day of the next hour. In fact, Christ's work just began when you became a Christian. And in the providence of God, usually the person who leads you to saving faith in Christ is not the person discipling you in your faith 5, 10, 15, or 50 years later. In fact, over your lifetime, does not God wisely use many others in your life, many others to, to build you up as a follower of Christ? This happens with every Christian individually, and it also happens with every church corporately. God will use the pastors, a certain group of elders. God will use Sunday school teachers, and then they move on. God brings another group, another set to build upon a church. In this church, God is building upon the foundation now through each and every one of you here. Just as he uses others in your life, God also intends to use you in others' lives. I'm so thankful to see so many of you here. And as I look around this room, I'm looking at eyes and faces. I believe and I understand the scriptures. And we understand the scriptures. God intends to use each of you to build into one another's lives here. My life, even. We also have responsibility to build into the lives of our neighbors, our brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility to do our part in building up this church. Ephesians 4.16 tells us that the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. You notice this doesn't say a proper working of just the major muscles, the proper working of just, you know, your, your extremities. It says the proper working of each individual part of the body. That means each and every one of you that are here is a regular, tender member of this church. Because when that happens, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We each have a part to function in this church to cause the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Later on in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, Paul tells the Corinthians to use their spiritual gifts to seek to abound for the edification of the church. Edification means to build up. It says they were all, you know, boasting in their gifts. Paul tells them, use your gifts, seek to use your gifts to edify the church, not to destroy the church. Do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know what God has gifted you in? Do you know what, perhaps, if you don't know what gift it is, at least know what God has blessed you with as a skill, as a, something that interests you, that makes you passionate about? Because very likely, those are the very things that God wishes you to use within this body. We don't, need everyone to do everything. God has gifted each of you with a spiritual gift, and he, it is God's desire that you would determine what that giftedness is and use it as God opens opportunities and doors for you. Use that gift in the ministry of this church because God, God has designed it that he would involve, building up this church would involve you.
building upon the foundation of Christ needs others. Needs you. Secondly, foundation building needs care. It needs care. After stating, Paul here, after stating that another is building on the foundation of Christ, Paul gives a very sobering stipulation for everyone who builds. So if you're here, you're, built, you're, you're committed to building upon this church, there's a sobering command here for everyone. It says, he says, but each man, each person, if you will, must be careful how he builds on it. A lot of times when you highlight, you know, you go through your Bible reading, you kind of notice whenever there's a command and you like to highlight that because it's command stick out. It's like, oh, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to obey. It's very interesting here that in these first 17 verses of this chapter, the verb must be careful is the only command in this, these, seven, these verses. It's the only time that we find an imperative, a command. All these statements about what the church is or who the different people are is contrasted with this one command. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. The verb here carries the root idea of seeing or looking at something. But in this usage, it means to direct one's attention to something, to give attention to it, to consider it, to note it. Paul wants you to note, to consider how you are building upon the foundation of Christ. Paul would use the same verb in in a very similar way in Ephesians 5.15 when he says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Here, Paul exhorts those who build to give careful consideration and attention to how you build. Now, I know that among us, not many of us here, have ever built our own homes. It's probably not even, you know, something that many of us could do. But a lot of us here have remodeled our homes, right? You remodeled something, a room, a kitchen, a bathroom maybe. Well, maybe some of you have. But when you do so, don't you spend a lot of time carefully considering how, what you're going to do? You kind of think about, what is it that I want to remodel here in my kitchen? Uh, what do I want to do with the cabinets? What do I want to do with the floor? What do, I, what, do I want tile? Do I want linoleum? Do I want vinyl? Do I, what am I going to do with the cabinets? What color am I going to paint it? What many doors do I want? What kind of drawers do I wish? I, oh, what am I going to put on the, the, the slab, man? Even our kitchens, it's coming along. It's looking fabulous, by the way. Uh, and a lot of attention and detail is given to when we remodel any, even a room in our house. And that's just for a, a room in our house that we're going to just use perhaps at most for our lifetime. How much more consideration are we to give to the house of God that we're going to be a part of for eternity, right? And what's more, this house doesn't even belong to us. It belongs to God. And there's an implication of that is that we who build upon it should be careful because we actually have to answer to somebody for it. And next week, we're going to look at verse 12 to, 7, 12 to 15 we see that those who build upon the foundation are all going to be judged by God. We're all going to be judged. And you say, wow, what? I'm in Jesus Christ. I don't get judged. And you wonder about why we still be judged when they come next week, okay? For further motivation to be careful in the building of the church, Paul explains with verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. Why we ought to be careful. He says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So it's pretty straightforward what he says here. He says, the reason why you need to be careful is because the church can only have one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. 
You can't try to lay another foundation. What, what man builds lays a foundation and then goes on and lays another foundation next to it. You can't try to build on it with things that have nothing to do. You can't try to build the church then with things that have nothing to do with Christ. We learn that the life and heart of every local church must be the person and work of Jesus. It is his death and resurrection that has provided the payment for sin and the securing of our redemption. The message of the gospel that calls people to saving knowledge, saving faith is a call to repentance and faith. It's the only means. Through, Christ, through faith in Christ is the only means of salvation and the only way to enter into the kingdom of God. And this is the message that, lay, that was laid down, that pro, is proclaimed by those who laid the foundation of this church. But the message of the gospel of Christ is foundational, not just to laying down the foundation, but it's foundational even to the building upon it, to everything else that we do. If Christ is not a part of what we do, then we are failing to build on the foundation. Or worse, we're trying to lay another foundation. We must see Christ in every aspect of this church. We must see the, the message of Christ and him crucified in the songs that we sing, in our music. We must hear Christ crucified in the preaching from the pulpit. We must hear Christ crucified in the message of Christ and the gospel in the Sunday schools. We must see Christ lived out in our lives. What is the church's foundation? So let us preach Christ. Let us practice and obey Christ. Let us be dependent upon Christ's spirit as we serve him. Let us build with, alongside the servants of Christ. Let us build into the lives of the body of Christ. And let us do so because of the love of Christ. If you're a ministry leader here, and many of you are, you lead or serve in a ministry within the church, Ask yourself this question, a very practical question. Ask yourself a question. In every ministry, from the custodian to nursery workers to AV to Sunday school to women's ministry, men's ministry, Bible studies, ask yourself, how is Christ a part of that ministry? How is Christ made manifest? How is Christ's word guiding you? How is the love of Christ shown? Because Christ needs is the foundation of this church, and though everything that's built upon it must be built upon the foundation of the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. In effect, foundation building that we're talking about here is essentially the work of making disciples of Christ. It's just another word for making disciples. We're making disciples. We're, we're leading people to Christ, still doing evangelism, but we're inviting them to become part of this church, the church of Christ, and then we're discipling them, teaching them to observe all that Christ commands. That is the responsibility of us who are building upon the foundation. How are you building upon the foundation of Christ in this church? How are you making disciples of Christ in what you do in your participation? If you're here and you realize the, that you haven't given much thought or consideration of this recently, and then I invite you to start by considering from the very beginning simply where you stand with Christ. It's always good to just go back to Christ because it starts with Christ, right? Where do you stand with Christ? First of all, is he your Lord and Savior from sin? 
you know, hopefully most of you that are here, especially if you're a regular attending or you're, for sure if you're a member, you understand that he is your Lord and Savior. That he is none other than God the Son incarnated, made manifest, who came and lived and died on the cross for our sins as a substitutionary atonement. You understand that when we stand before God, it's not because of anything we've done, but it's because we placed our faith in Jesus because he died for my sins. It's because I, you have humbled yourself before him. You've cast yourself upon him because you know that your way of life was leading to eternal wrath. But it is only through his way, the way of Jesus Christ, that there is life. And so you've turned to him. That's the first thing. Where do you stand with Christ? Do you know his love for you? Upon the cross, and I hope we, we remind in communion of his, his love for us. He died for us. And then when you follow that, do you love him in return? Do you, and then hopefully most of us say, yeah, I want to love him. I do desire to love him. If you love him, then love his body. Love the body of Christ. If you love Christ, you will love his body. Paul understood this very well. On the road to Damascus, as he was seeking to persecute the church of God, Jesus Christ made, um, appeared to him, the glory of Christ appeared, and blinded Paul. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? For to Jesus, to persecute his church, his body is to persecute Jesus himself. And what you do to Jesus' body, to Christ's church, is your, what you do for, to Jesus. Your attitude towards the body of Christ is your attitude towards Jesus. And so you love Jesus, you love the body. You love the body, you are showing your love for Christ. If you haven't done so on a very practical level, I encourage you, those of you that are regular attendance, join the membership of the church. Not so you can just check it off. But our, we, have, we have established membership in the church as a means so that we would know your commitment, you would know our commitment to you, so that we can then begin a relationship with you that we might serve the Lord together. If you're already a member, then I invite you to renew your commitment to be involved in the life and ministry of this church. Start, if just, it's, it can be easy too. It doesn't mean you gotta, oh, I, gotta, I need to do a particular ministry. It can start with just partaking in fellowship. There is so much that can be done in building upon the church, just in fellowship with the saints. After, ch- after Sunday school today, I mean, just had a, I love how God gives me illustrations right in ch- during church. Right after Sunday school today, someone just came up to me and asked me for my prayer request. You know, most people, I'm, I'm usually asking, hey, what's your prayer request? This brother came up to me and asked my prayer request. He really built me up asking me that. He's going to build me up even more as he prays to God on my behalf. But that was fellowship. Real short, less than a five-minute exchange. That, if that happens in the church, I mean, we don't need no more programs. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of what Christ will do will just take place because we're depending upon him and we're speaking truth to one another. Let's be involved in fellowship. In between services, there's obviously Friday fellowships as well and weekday fellowships too for more of that. But as God gives you opportunity, as, God, as you discern your giftedness, serve in a ministry as well. I'm not saying you all have to serve in a ministry. If you're just serving in, through your attendance in church and participating, encouraging others in, 
through your, intentionally in your time when you're here on Sundays, that may be all you can do at this point. But if God gives you opportunity and ability, there's great need in this church. We have great need for ushers, for greeters, for nursery workers, children's workers. These are two, uh, worship ministry and CE ministry are the two of the most labor-intensive ministries in the church body. We need, we need so many people to be involved. If you're interested in being involved, uh, please go uh, seek out PA if you want to serve in worship. Or maybe go seek out some of the head ushers you want to serve there. Go seek me if you want to serve in CE or, or Brother Craig uh, and for lower division. And the more of us involved, the more we end up sharing the work of building the church. Because God has intended that all of us together would build upon the foundation of Christ. So let us carefully examine how we build upon it. Jesus Christ is this church's one and only foundation upon which we must build. What makes this church a great church is not because of our building. It's not because of our music. It's not because of the people, even. Fundamentally, what makes this church great is because of Christ. Because Christ is manifest here. He is in us just as we are in him. And we who choose the songs choose songs that reflect Christ. We who teach the word teach the truths of Christ. We who build this physical building do so for the glory of Christ and with the ministries of Christ in mind. It's because of Christ. He is the foundation we are, being, we are building upon the foundation of Jesus that was laid by others. As we start a new stage of ministry on this corner of San Francisco, I again invite every member, every regular attender of this church to renew your commitment to build upon Christ. Will you do that? You might not even know exactly how that will look, but just begin by praying. Say, Lord, I, I'm not sure what that will look like in my life, but I want to build and help build this church upon Christ. And as we depend upon the grace of God, we're halfway there. Let us be faithful to build upon the foundation, each one of us carefully examining how we build, and let us keep on depending on God's grace and preaching God's gospel, and let Christ build his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, your word. Thank you, Father, for these basic, fundamental, elementary truths about this church, about every local church, about the universal church. We thank you, Father, that the foundation of your church is upon is Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the faithful saints who laid the foundation of Jesus Christ 50-plus years ago. We also thank you for the saints who built upon that foundation over the years and Lord, I thank you for each and every one that is here now whom you have ordained to be a part of this church to build upon the foundation of the person and work of Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to never think that it's about anything, anything that we can come up with to build this church. 
guard us from, Father, finding pride in, our, in our, just our music, our, our programs, our people, our building, our location, our doctrine even alone. Father, help us to boast and boast in only him who is worthy, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us make Christ the center and the everything, the alpha, the omega of all that goes on in this church and, in, and all that goes on in our lives. Lord, make this church a church about Christ so that people don't need to come in and look for a cross to find Christ, but they will see it in every person, in every song, in every program. Oh, Father, we depend upon your grace to do so. We thank you, Father, for the gospel of Jesus through which we have been saved and through which, Lord, you, in using us, will continue to build upon that foundation building your church, that you and that your son, Christ Jesus, would be glorified. Lord, help us, we pray, to do this because we love you. We thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.